this thing on? Because it's getting ready to be on. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Bell Ringer. Today on the episode, I have Jennifer Beckage from Philips Lytle. She is an expert on data security and cybersecurity, uh, something that I am not, so it was really interesting to hear. I'm sure that you probably are not. Most of the audience isn't, so super informational. She has an event on Wednesday, February 15th, that you should go to if you want to hear more. Here is Jennifer Beckage. So um, tell me and the listeners a little bit about yourself and kind of what we're here to talk about. Sure. Um, so I'm Jennifer Beckage. I'm a partner at Philips Lytle Law Firm, and I head our firm's data security and privacy team. Okay. And tell me, how, you, how did you get into this field? So I started off my professional career being an owner of a technology company. And it was a very exciting time where technology was changing and advancing very quickly. And so I was able to really have a lot of experience working with new and disruptive technologies. We continue to grow that business um, and ended up selling ourselves to a publicly traded company where I was retained as vice president of operations um, over um, I'll call e-services at the time. So I, I had a lot of experience, you know, with technology, running technology businesses and products and seeing what clients needed. And after that experience, I realized, gosh, I've been the client. I, I've been the startup. I've been the entrepreneur. I've, I've, I've gone through, you know, all those experiences that my clients don't go through, right? You know, having the disloyal employee or the bad vendor um, and, and the sale of a business you know, um, and going through due diligence. But so then I decided to go to law school. And ever since I got out of law school, I just kept trying to focus on technology issues. And so whether it's software disputes or reviewing contracts, um, moving data around data retention policies, uh, whatever it might be, if, if it relates to technology, I've always sort of been involved in it. Are you from Buffalo? Not originally. No. Where I was, lived in Texas. Is that where you had owned the business? Um, no, the business was in upstate New York, okay. and um, uh, we continue to grow ourselves. We started up as a small startup and continue to grow. And after that sale is when I decided, you know, gosh, I've been the client. I had the disloyal employee. You know, I had to deal with vendor contracts. I had to deal with technology issues. I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to focus on these issues so that I can help clients. And so that's what I did. So um, obviously you have, have expertise what is the other, what's the breadth of expertise outside of yourself in the region in data security, cybersecurity? Sure. So, you know, it's very interesting. There's not a lot of people, I'll say, like me and what I'm doing um, because it's a little bit different. Um, so, being a former business owner, having a technology background, I'm able to sort of assist clients in that that incident response and, and with those issues that maybe just somebody else wouldn't be able to because they're just in a certain maybe uh, silo or uh, one particular area, like just legal and just uh, technical. Um, so as far as others in the region, you know, there's a lot of different vendors, um, a lot of different consultants um, who are who are in this space. Right. And what have you seen change? It seems like this issue is more, it's a lot more top of mind for everybody across the board than it was even maybe five years ago or, or 10 years ago. It used to just be like a really, I guess you had to be like a tech insider to be concerned with it. Or am I wrong in that assessment? No, that's a great question. So I guess this has always been a problem, data yeah. security and privacy. It's always been a problem. Um, 
when I first started getting involved in these matters, it was usually because there was a disloyal employee or there was a competitor that sold that stole some sort of, you know, technical information. They they downloaded the customer list um, and took it, whatever, um, you know, data they were able to get their hands on it. And so that's kind of how it started. And now we just the hackers are just a little different. It's just a different variation on kind of an old game um, of stealing information. So, you know, some of them are state actors. Some of them are, could be the guy down the street um, or the gal down the road. Uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's still the same concept of you've got data sitting someone somewhere and someone's taking it. Um, so we've been involved with that for, for quite some time. I think just the differences in the sophistication and the size. All right. Um, do you find that most companies have a, a cybersecurity or data security policy specifically like in place, or is that something that people need to get up to speed on? No, that's an, another great question. So a lot of companies have something, um, and that's great, is just to have something. Just take that first step and, and have a document that says this is what our um, we're, we're going to do if we have an incident and how we're going to respond and, and how we treat this data that's um, if it's protected or sensitive data. Um, the one recommend, recommendation that I would have is if you do have a policy, print it out. Usually if there's a data security incident, you don't, may not have access to all your systems. So it's good <laughs> to actually have a hard copy right. somewhere. Um, and that happens all the time, wow. including contact information, how you're going to get a hold of somebody. So lots of times there's a policy that says, if I have an incident, well, I'm gonna call Greg. Okay, well, do you have Greg's phone number? Is it in your cell phone? Do you have Greg's home number? You know, do you have Greg's um, personal email address? You know, how are you going to get a hold of Greg if you don't have access to email, you don't have access to your systems, you don't have access to your policies? So again, I think a lot of companies do have something, but one thing that I've been doing is sitting down a lot with companies and testing those policies, asking those questions like I just asked you, and prepare for a response um, that includes the whole team, management and IT. It's not just a technical response. It's across the board, executive level being involved. I never thought of it that way. That's so interesting that like, you know, if you have it stored on, if you only have a digital file with that policy or that information that's gone too. Right, right, that's right. Really so it's great to have, um, when we prepare our um, incident response plans for clients and our cybersecurity programs, you know, we, we always give that advice. Print it out. <laughs> right. So there's there's the IT side of it that you talked about. Is there like a public relations response? Do you encourage that as the kind of full-fledged approach? Of course. So we take, a, um, you know, a 360 review when there's an incident. So when something happens, um, you know, I get calls in the middle of the night, on the weekends, you know, anytime during the day. These things don't always happen at the most convenient times for the organization. And when they occur... Um, we immediately are engaged. We have a large uh, data security and privacy team made up of people like me that have either uh, tech backgrounds or former technology entrepreneurs, computer programmers, um, and other technologists. We have in-house technology teams, so we're able to quickly assemble a response, um, provide advice within you know moments of kind of next steps, and, and frankly, I've seen so many at this point, I usually have a good idea about what it is, what kind of strain of ransomware it is, you know, what it may do or not do. Um, so we provide that sort of technical response, help them mitigate, understand what's going on, mitigate what's going on, and help bring in a team to help them stand back up again. But on the other side, we're helping with the public relations piece. Let's understand what's happening before we communicate a message, because some things aren't always as they seem. 
It may not be the world's ending, the sky's falling scenario. And maybe the bad guy only had access to things that weren't protected or sensitive information. Um, maybe they didn't have access to information at all. So we like to immediately assess what's really going on from a technical perspective so that we can assist with that messaging because reputation's everything. And it's frightening for especially a, a smaller, medium-sized business. Um, they, if they don't have the right things in place, this reputational harm could be devastating. So we also do assist with that. So at what size, and the answer might be immediately, but at what size does a company, would you recommend that they start to build this plan? Like a lot of the companies I think of that we help come here, they could have two employees or something and it's a really small like warehousing operation. Is there still a need for them? Probably. Right. Um, what ends up happening is most companies, no matter how big or small, do have something that's protected. Um, do they have employees? Are they holding on to employee records? Do they have health information on file? Even if they're in an industry where you wouldn't traditionally think that they would have sensitive information, they might. So you, you first have to look at, at the data and then just have something in place. I, there's, there's so much news, there's so much hype, right? There's articles constantly, you know, these scare tactics. Um, I, I think people get paralyzed. They don't know what to do and they don't know what to start. So to answer your question, you know, do they need to have something? Yes, but the size and scope of it really depends on what data they're holding, what industry they're in, and their risk assessment. Mm -hmm. So it does seem like there is that paralyzing effect where it seems like so complicated or so over someone's head. What, what do you encourage just that first step to be? I know you said print out the policy. is like something really simple that you can do that helps yourself. But for someone that doesn't have it and might be listening, what's the first step? Yeah, the first step is you know, take out a pen and paper, or get on your keyboard, and just think about what types of data you have. Do you have health information? Are you holding on to credit card information? Are you holding on to social security numbers? Do you have any sort of sensitive trade secret information? What do you have? And then where is it on your systems? And then from there, you can determine what laws may apply or best practices as to how to protect that information. And then once you have that, you can look at what you're currently doing, see if you comply with the laws. And in essence, it's a gap analysis, right? Find out what you're missing and then try to tie that up by putting the, you know, the best things that you can in place. Um, it's great to have those memorialized in a plan. There's some regulations that require that they're in writing. Um, put those policies in place too. But again, some companies, if they're small or medium-sized companies, they can start to put those policies together themselves. And then I would recommend that they just get that sort of legal blessing at the end that you know it does comply with the laws, that they are saying the right things in the policy, or they are addressing the right topics in the policy. You and then test it and then test it again, right? Like we talked right. about, you know, print it out and actually sit in a room and say, okay, in this scenario, if this is happening, who's going to do what and who's going to take responsibility of this? Um, lots of policies talk about things that they're going to do, but they don't actually assign who's going to be responsible for it or identify who's going to be on the team. And that's really important to test them out. You talked a little bit about how often this actually is happening or how prevalent it is. Is it like, should companies be operating under the assumption that it's going to happen at some point? Yeah, and I think companies realize that it probably has, 
in some form or another. You know, what's the likelihood that every company is going to be hit by some large state actor with a ransomware that's going to completely um, uh, destroy all of the data that they have? Um, you know, is there that risk for some entities because they may be holding on to really sensitive, desirable information? Um, you know, you'd have to look at each company and assess that risk. But I think a lot of companies also realize that there's a risk that an employee can make a mistake. Accidents happen all the time. It doesn't always have to be some really scary ransomware, malware, you know, uh, what we read in the paper type event. Think about all the emails you get with attachments. Think about, you know, all the different um, things that are sent to you on a daily basis, things that you're downloading on your computer. There's just lots of opportunities, you know, working from home for something to go wrong. And, and it may, and it might. So an employee mistake would be just like opening a, a, an attachment that would then infect the system or computer? Or what's an example of that? Sure. So it's possible that an employee could open up an attachment where something's embedded in the attachment that runs behind the scenes some sort of script that may um, try to capture credentials or other information. And the employee wouldn't know it. Um, you know, if there might be IT controls in place that may catch something like that, sometimes they're not caught for a while. Um, it, it just depends on the organization and what they have in place. So there's a lot of different examples about how that may occur. Right. Um, how as a region can we become more resilient in this industry and to these type of attacks? Like how can we build more resources and, and have more people educated on the topic like yourself? Yeah, it's education you hit it. So one thing that we're doing to help with that is I write articles all the time. Uh, we have a blog on our website um, at Phillips Lytle. You can go to the data security and privacy team, but the website address just for the blog itself is data security and privacy all spelled out. I also have um, monthly uh, um, data security download programs at the firm, at our offices where people can come in and hear about what's new and changing in the law and with cybersecurity. And so we hold those the third Thursday of every month. So next week on February 15th at 8 a.m., um, uh, and people can contact me to register for that event. So besides the blog and articles and um, monthly programs, you know, education is key. You know, unfortunately, I would just caution people to make sure that they're getting information from um, a good source. So there's a lot of people that are entering this market right now because it's a hot, sexy, interesting topic. Everyone's really interested in data security and cybersecurity, and it sounds really interesting. And um, look, I deal with data incidents all the time. I get calls, ransomware, malware, spoofing, spear phishing, electronic funds transfers. I mean, there's always something that's going on. Just make sure you're getting information from sources that have actually worked on these matters and a lot of these matters um, know how to respond to them in a legally defensible way so that the organization isn't at greater risk. All right. And that event is February 15th that you mentioned. I think we're going to publish this podcast um, on that Monday, I think the 13th, just so that people have an opportunity that are listening to hopefully register and come because I'm sure this will be a, you know, making people ask some questions about their own, their own systems in place. Uh, you talked a little bit about people wanting to get into this industry or, you know, it's a sexy new industry. Are there opportunities to grow local businesses in industry? 
Yes, and especially Buffalo's going through this resurgence. We have a lot of new businesses in the area, um, large new companies coming in the area or our existing clients that are in, in other businesses that are growing. So there's lots of opportunities. All of those companies are going to need more cybersecurity tools and vendors. Um, so, you know, we've got great universities here, great programs here that are that are training students about cybersecurity and technology. Um, and additional companies that are, are expanding their services to provide them. Again, if, as an organization, hiring one of those, you just want to make sure that they have the right things in place, You know that there's a contract in place, and that you understand what actually they're going to do for the organization, um, and, and that they've had some experience. You don't want this to be, when you have ransomware hit, you don't want it to be their first ransomware. Right. right, you want somebody who's got some experience in the area, and and so just ask the right questions. And if you don't know what questions to ask, um, find one of your trusted advisors who can help vet those uh, vendors out for you. Or listen to this podcast. And listen to this podcast. This right. is great. <laughs> That's the best advice. <laughs> so you uh, you owned one of these companies that we're talking about. What assets w- would a business be looking for? Is it that talent pool of the people we're graduating from our local colleges, or you know, cost effective? The low-cost office space, what kind of things would, would a company be interested in if they're looking to relocate to Buffalo or maybe expand? If a cybersecurity business is looking to come to the area? Yeah. Right. Yeah, talent's always really important. You want people who um, know what they're talking about and have experience um, doing it in, as students, right? Are they getting internship opportunities and other opportunities while they're in school? Uh, uh, that's the most, and, and having the right... Um, uh, Technical capabilities and resources at hand are also important. What is what do you think has made you so passionate about this this topic? I love what I do. I absolutely love it. It's the perfect marriage for me of my my background being in a technology field with my years of experience as a lawyer have come together. So I, I know that I'm I'm unique in in what I do, and so I I, I really enjoy what I do in providing. Um, value to our clients and, and to everybody else. And and so with that, I just want to share as much information as possible. You know, I appreciate this opportunity to be on this podcast. I know you have a lot of listeners um, to help educate them that, you know, there's so many, there's so much news. There's so much, uh, it's overwhelming. You get overload paralysis, right? I don't even know where to start, so I'm not going to do anything. And I just want to encourage people to do something. And if you don't know where to start, um, you know, we can help. We can help answer some questions. Um, I, I take phone calls all the time, like I said, day, night, uh, you know, just to make sure that the right information is in front of them to just boil it down. You know, everyone says, um, you know, you should train your employees. Well, how? How do I train my employees? What do I need to do? And a lot of it is we don't have to overthink it. Just sit down and have a conversation. Greg, while you're at work, you know, what, what concerns you? about how you're receiving information, how you're transferring information. Are you putting a lot of things on unencrypted or unlabeled thumb drives and just leaving it around? You know, what are you doing in your day-to-day business that provides opportunities for information to be lost? So just sitting down and having the conversation is always just a great step and just to encourage people just to take that first step. Right, right. Okay, thank you so much for your time. I have, we have a blizzard round that we do with every guest, so a couple hard-hitting questions for you. Uh, if you were a flavor of ice cream, what would you be? Mint chocolate chip. Favorite number? Eight. Text because or... if you turn it on its side, it's infinity. Okay. So I'm going to have good luck forever. That's a good... Right? See, 
I love when people have a thought out answer for that. I don't like when people just pick their birth date, uh, you know. And I didn't know you were going to ask me these questions either. But we did not prep for this at all. <laughs> Text or phone call? Uh, phone calls, phone calls, don't, and I have a rule, if there's, if you have to text me more than three times, this warrants a phone call. And, you know, again, look, I'm in a highly technical area and tech space, but there's nothing that beats a, a conversation. You just learn so much more about, you know, the other person and their needs. That's a good rule. I like that yeah. a lot. Uh, bills or sabers? Oh, I love both of them. But, <laughs> you know... Coming off that, you know, that we got into the playoffs, I'll have to say Bills. Yeah, they're playing better right now. Uh, hiking or skiing? Hiking. I grew up in Texas, so unless water skiing. Okay, I like that. Okay. Buffalo's got a nice summer. You can water ski out there. Buffalo's a great place to be. I mean, we've got um, great food, great music, um, you know, water and events. I mean, there's just so much going on. Our office is right at Canal Side, so it's great to see. It's gorgeous. All the excitement that's going on down there. Right. I had Doug Dimitrov on the podcast. He was one of my first guests, um, and I asked him about uh, you know being at that area and how cool it was. And he he raved about all the restaurant options and stuff like that oh, around yeah. you guys. Well, I said uh, the one day I sent a message to my family. I took a picture outside my window that oversees Canal Side, and um, you know just to see all the excitement. There's people down there every single day. It could be. 30 below and someone's going to be out there, you know, whether it's ice skating or building a snowman. Um, it's wonderful. All right. And last question, biggest one, chicken wings, drumstick or flat? Flat. Flat. All right. I'm a drumstick guy. You are? Yeah. All right. Well, don't judge. That's fine. (laughs) I don't feel any animosity towards the flat people. Do you like, but do you like it hot? I go for like a medium wing. Oh, see, I like it hot. Yeah. What's your favorite place to get wings? Um, I like them all. You know, I like trying new things. So um, I'm always looking for a different, it's like pizza, right? You know, wings and pizza. I'm always interested in trying new spices and new sauces. So, um, and we have so many new, great, exciting restaurants locally. So um, I like to try them all. Awesome. Thank you very much. Bell Ringer is a podcast by Invest Buffalo Niagara, the region's privately funded nonprofit marketing and economic development organization. Please rate this podcast, follow our social media channels, and read our blog at buffaloniagara.org for the best of Buffalo Niagara. Come grow your business with us.